Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University New England and the Meaningful Life Institute. In this episode of Meaningful Journeys, I talk with Rana Bakari, who is a Canadian lawyer, entrepreneur, and former politician. Rana is a Shia Muslim and participated in the Arbaeen pilgrimage in 2019. As we started our conversation, I wanted to know about what the pilgrimage meant to her before she went on it. One thing that I have to own up to is the fact that I grew up in a very strong Shia household. We mourned our 10 days during Muharram and we did all the traditional Shia things, but I actually didn't know Arbaeen existed. I did not know that there was this pilgrimage happening in Iraq. And that is probably due to my own world and what I was focused on at the time. So I actually didn't know Arbaeen was Arbaeen. My brother started posting about Arbaeen. It was my brother actually who said, I'm going on this trip. Do you want to go? And he just kind of described it as a walk. But let's be fair. I knew that we had our ziyarats, like our pilgrimages to the shrines in Iraq, in Najaf and in Karbala. But I didn't actually know about the walk component. I had no idea it even existed. So that's actually how the whole thing came about. So he said he was going, and this was about four days before he was leaving. And he said, ha, 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 you want to come? And I was just like, yeah, why not? Jokingly. And the way that we believe is there are beloved ancestors and we love them. From our belief system, when they want you to come, they will make sure you're there. When your ancestors or the people that we're walking for or, or these when, when they stayed that you're supposed to come, they'll, they'll make it happen. So frankly, I shouldn't have been there. I had no intention of being there. The way I, I view it now in hindsight is, uh, you know, my ancestors called me. They had a reason to call me there, and that's how I got there. And there was a point where I just surrendered to it. Once I realized that four or five days before we were leaving, I think it was about three days before we were leaving, and I had suddenly said I was going, and all of a sudden... My passport's ready, the ticket's booked, and within two days, three days, I'm on a plane going. At that point, you just surrender to it, and then you understand it's something bigger than you. It was incredible. Do you think you would have gone had you had a lot of time to plan, or was part of the appeal the spontaneity? It's hard to say, because I think had I planned, I could have talked myself out of it. It's not safe. Is this the time to be doing this? Maybe I should be doing this when I'm a bit older. There would be so many things you would throw in front of yourself to stop you. And uh, not that I didn't want to go or anything else. I, I've always wanted to go to the Ziyarat. But just for me, based on where my life was at that time, it just seemed very off the wall a bit. Because I'm going down this path and I'm not really focused on pilgrimages or anything else. But suddenly it's just, I'm there. But it was pretty incredible. You didn't have a lot of time to prepare. What yeah. about mental preparation? What was going through your head on the flight? On the flight, I was nervous. I felt emotional. The entire thing was incredibly emotional because I kept thinking, I've heard the story of Karbala. I've heard about, you know, our imams and 
and their sacrifice and who they were and what they stood for my whole life since I was a kid. And you hear these names and they just seem like stories almost before you go. And then you walk onto that land and it's just real. It shakes your world. When we started to travel towards it and there's a little bit of a process to get to Najaf, we landed in Basra and then we took a bus to Najaf. Yeah, and all I could think of was grateful. And I, I remember in my head, I was thanking my ancestors. I can't believe, why am I here? What are you trying to tell me? What do you want me to bring from this? What am I supposed to do with this knowledge? Why do you love me so much that you would want me to come and, you know what I mean? Like those were the types of things. And you kind of go back to being a kid and really just having that love for them and their sacrifices. And then it just wakes up in you and it just transcends everything. There's no words. There's no real way that I could articulate the truth of what that really was. It's pretty life moving. It moves you at your core, really. What point did you realize I am actually on the Arbaid pilgrimage? We got to Basra. We took a bus to Najaf. We were all anticipating the walk. And then we just left our bags there and the walk started in the morning. At that point, you're putting on your shoes. And there's thoughts going through your head. How am I going to walk for three days? Like, are my legs going to hurt? Am I going to have blisters? So there's all these things you start to think about. And then... I was a little nervous. It seemed like it was a lot of people, like 38 million, I believe, was the last count for Urbain 2019. So just the sheer amount of people was a little nerve-wracking. You know, I've been to a lot of protests and a lot of massive walks, and, you know, I've seen a lot of movements. But when you're talking in the millions like that, the energy of that itself, you could feel it when you walk onto that land. What did the energy feel like? It's hard to explain. It felt like excitement, but it felt very rushed because it was like when you're starting in Najaf and you're starting the walk, it felt like everyone was just wanting to get to Karbala as fast as they could. They just wanted to get there. They just wanted to see the dome and they just wanted to see the shrine and they just wanted to pay their salams to their imams. Like they just wanted to get there and you could feel it. The excitement, but then the commemoration part of it. Because every step you took, even if you forgot why you were there for a second, your mind would just go back to why we were here and what that walk meant and who walked that path and why did they walk that path and why did they sacrifice their family and why after 1,400 years would 38 million people still come from all over the world to rewalk that path in commemoration. What does that mean? That is an incredible feeling to have. And it's a very conscious, very open thought process. Because suddenly when you're there, you're not thinking in boxes. You're thinking in a bigger level all of a sudden because you see these people and you can't even believe, how did everyone get here? How are we all doing this walk? How is there no room to even move? And why is there no security? How is this so calm? It's so life-changing. You make a very good point about the sheer number of people and that it's so calm. Why do you think that is? I think that once you get there, you believe. We always believe. We lived with it. We made a choice. 
you no longer see it as 40 people in a mosque remembering the story for the purpose of this i'll call it the story they've understood it they've hopefully taken the principles and the teachings of that and now they're walking to solidify that belief because what it does when you get there is if you had any doubts you no longer have a doubt the kindness of people and the openness of everyone from different places across the world it's just like one big massive group of people but you're not seeing conflict and you're not seeing tension and you're not seeing all the things that should happen when you have that many people together i actually don't remember if people were even talking because i felt like people were communicating somehow like we were communicating maybe like a light acknowledgement of each other being there maybe in the entire walk maybe i had three conversations and one of them was with an iraqi who was giving us food her daughter had her hand out she was giving us food and then i looked at this beautiful beautiful girl and i was just like you just have this beautiful spirit about you i could feel it and so she gave me food and she gave me juice because they give you so much i couldn't take it i don't want to waste this so maybe give it to somebody else and then the mom kind of looked at me and she was just like, no, you take it. Because they just want you to just take. They just want you to take everything. And then when she spoke, I realized she may understand a little bit of English. So I went to her and I asked her, I said, you're standing here and you have a table full. And the table's never empty. Like no matter how many times I look back at your table, it was full. Where is this coming from? There's no system in place that somebody's going to one place bringing food and then just the logistics of it all how is this even possible so then i asked her and i said well i don't mean any disrespect but how are you affording to feed 30 something million people and then she looked at me like i was just almost like she thought i was just pathetic <laughs> like she just gave me this look like girl you know, you're so dumb. And she kind of smiled at me and she just said, you know, we wait for you. We wait for all of you. We spend our whole year. We'll eat dates and we'll drink milk and that's all we'll eat just to serve you. Because we love you and we love that you came to walk for our imam. We love you for doing that. When we're serving you, we're serving him. So it's just incredible. I think about her often. Once our being ended, I mean, I'm sure they were just planning for the next year with their beautiful kids and just the way that they looked at you with so much joy and pride and thank you, you know, like you guys are here. We're so happy to see you. If that's not hospitality and love, I don't really know what is. So often in pilgrimages, the hospitality piece is one of the primary aspects that make pilgrimages so meaningful. And certainly I've heard about this about Arbaeen and I'm wondering for you what it meant to have this level of hospitality shown by complete strangers. Yeah, just complete strangers from Iraqis. They live in constant, it's a war-torn country. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful people. You know, and that's exactly what it meant. It just opened my eyes. And there was a part of me that wanted to come home and talk about, don't believe everything you hear. Because once you get there, basically everything you ever thought about Iraq was not true. Just like that. I never felt unsafe. We felt loved, we felt cared for. I remember a family who literally, we went to go use a bathroom in one of the tents and it was during like a evening prayer. 
we had to meet a different group at a different pole. So we had to go. We wanted to use the bathroom and then go. He was almost begging us to stay. No, you can't go without eating. You can't go. And then what he actually did was he sat us all down in this like private little spot and had all the kids bring us food before everybody else. But you can't go. You just have to eat and then you can go. Just a generosity of heart and spirit and resources and mind and love. It is just pure, unwavering generosity at every level. And they are beautiful people. Beautiful people. I'm curious about what the pilgrimage meant for you as a Shia and also as a woman. Hmm. It solidifies who you are. For me, it was that final piece that I didn't even know I needed of solidifying exactly who I was and exactly what I was about and exactly where I came from and exactly why they called me there. There's a reason for everything. I know that it changed the way I viewed the world in a lot of ways. I think that I came back much more accepting probably incredible spiritual growth I think I see things much clearer. And whereas in day-to-day life, I think that we get caught up in the nine-to-five type of scenario, the immediate. And I think that that opened my eyes to humanity much more. And I've always been a lover of all humanity. I feel like I'm a pretty socially active person, but that was a whole different level. And it just made me feel complete. From a perspective of just being a Shia Muslim, it just completed a really big part of me. And it just solidified my resolve to follow those principles. And those principles aren't complicated and they transcend religion and nationality and ethnicity and whether you're male or female. This is just about humanity. When I was trying to describe the walk to people who had no idea what it was or who didn't even know I was Shia, that was the only way I could describe it. It was just a walk for humanity. Let's just stop being horrible to each other. There are people who who already fought this battle. You know what I mean? People already fought this battle. They sacrificed their children. You know, the youngest one was six months old. They've done that for us already. Why would we not just follow that path? The work's already been done. So I think from an individual level, just that reminder of we have a purpose and we have to be much more connected than perhaps we are at this point. And what about how you saw yourself as a woman fitting into this larger community? What's interesting about Arbaeen and about Iraq for just all the pilgrimages in Iraq and all the ziyarats, there was not a single moment that I can consciously recall where I felt any different than a man would have felt there, which is very different than being elsewhere. I've gone through quite a few things in my life. I felt the difference between how I would be treated as a woman versus how I would be treated as a man. I speak about this often. It's a very common thing that I I have felt, so I know that feeling. I did not feel that feeling in Iraq. And what's interesting is I've traveled a lot of other countries, and I have felt that feeling. This is very holy ground. Garbalized, blood-soaked. It's soaked in the blood of people who did a lot of things for us. And... I think some of the women in that battle, perhaps it's because of them and because of how those women were the prophet's daughter and then everyone that came after that, how they were so revered. Maybe that's why on that land, it just doesn't happen. But to be fair, I think I have to qualify that. I don't wear hijab. 
and I've never worn it. And I think it takes a lot of strength for the women who do wear it. I admire that. I truly do. But I think maybe on that land, perhaps there was a memory or there was some understanding or there was some fear of the followers of Islam and the Prophet's own daughter was one of the most revered people to him and every other woman there. How do you go on that land and not treat women with complete love and respect and everything else? Like, I think that that would have been quite difficult for people to pull off, to be honest with you. The one thing, to be fair, like I want to qualify that with, was we were wearing our robes. We were covered from head to toe anyways. And I made that personal decision, basically. And I know you have to do it when you're going into the shrines. It would be completely unacceptable to not do that. Nor do I believe we should not do that. It's out of respect to who you're going to go see. We were covered up. So maybe that had something to do with the fact that there wasn't a lot of differences between the guys and the girls. The one thing I should say, though, are the men and women's tents were obviously very different. They were very separated. However, when we were on the path of the walk, the entire 80 kilometers, there was tents on both sides. Those were all family. So there was men and women and children all together the entire time. And when we were walking, it was men and women and children all the time. When we were asking for help or say if we didn't understand a language issue, everyone was kind of working together. So truthfully, that entire time, I didn't feel any different. And I think that that deserves for me to acknowledge because I have felt it in other places and I have felt it in other traditional settings, but I did not feel it there. Even when you go into the shrines, there were some shrines where everyone was mixed together. You couldn't even tell. Everyone was loving and caring and respectful and it was pretty amazing. And I don't know if I really thought about it while I was there. I think I just felt safe. Can you pinpoint one particularly transformational experience that happened during the pilgrimage? Yeah. The closer you get to Karbala, the more your world shakes, the more you just want to see what you're there for. You want to just see the shrine. You want to see the dome. There is a point that when you're walking up to the domes where you catch a glimpse of it, so you don't catch a glimpse of the entire shrine, but you catch a glimpse of the dome. People cry the entire way. I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life as I did on that journey. And you don't even know why you're crying, but you just feel yourself transforming. When you see the dome, when you see, and that's the first glimpse you catch of it, and your heart literally feels like it's going to burst out of love. There's something in your heart that just changes. And I stood there and I watched because I thought, wow, why is this shaking me so much? Why do I feel like my legs are going to give out? Why am I just crying uncontrollably? The water's just pouring down and you see the stone and you just want to greet them. And even if it's not something that you would normally do, that would be your very first thing. You would just greet them. You'd put your head down and you'd just greet them from miles away. And then I look behind me. And everyone, every single person, the same thing. They'd be talking, they'd be looking, and then they'd catch a sight. And then all of a sudden, they were just like, like they would be right there to greet them. And then I stood there for a while and I watched. I thought, okay, I'll be one person or two people. No, I stood there for 20 minutes. Every single person, they would hit that point in the road where suddenly they could see the top of the dome. It would become clear. And at that moment, 
every single person, didn't matter who they were, where they were from, what ethnicity, what nationality, what religion they were from, they were just suddenly moved by that little tiny first glimpse of what we were there for. So it was incredible. That was very transforming. And then this other part too, there is no shortage of anything. If you need a shoe, if you need a blanket, if you need food, if you need medicine, if you need a massage, literally anything in this universe that you could think about that you would possibly need on that walk, it's just there. The lady who we were with, we were walking and her purse strap broke. She was just like, how am I going to keep walking? It's about like 50 or 60 kilometers to go. And then we were all kind of worried about it, not realizing we would find somebody there. And then we walk not even a kilometer and there's a guy sitting there who's going to sew her purse. They just welcome you. She's looking around and they were just like, oh, take it. You know, you want a new purse? Here's a new one or we'll fix this one. But just the sheer generosity of it all is incredible. And just the beauty of it all. It's incredible. I want to make sure that listeners understand that this pilgrimage is not just for Shia Muslims. No. It's open to everyone. And actually, I've committed to taking an Indigenous elder who I'm very close to, Dave. I'm going to take him next year with me. If I have any opportunity to take as many people as I can, doesn't matter who, where, what. No, it's not just about Shia Muslims. It's not even just about Muslims. There are people from Turkey, from Finland. I thought I saw people from Sudan there, from America, from Canada, from Pakistan, from Iran, from Afghanistan, from Indonesia. There's people from literally all over the world and what was really cool some people actually had their flags that was one thing i was kicking myself for because i actually didn't have a canadian flag and i really wish i would have i saw people with these cute little backpacks on and their entire group have yellow backpacks it was really cool but no not just for shia muslims not just for muslims not just for men women children it is legitimately open to everyone i saw people in crutches i saw people who were in wheelchairs I saw somebody who literally was in a wheelchair that was made into a bed. You had the family pushing them along, just everything and everybody. Babies, you have these families just strolling their babies and their kids. And yeah, it was really incredible. So after such a significant experience, how was the transition back home for you? You know what? That's a really good question. I have not transitioned back home yet. My 42nd birthday was in Garbala. I'll never forget that. It was one of the most amazing ways to spend it. And that was definitely very meaningful for me. I haven't really transformed back yet. I've been back probably since the beginning of November, end of October. Every single day I think about it. Every single day I reflect on it. Every single day I try to make sense of what I saw and what I felt and how that is even real and I think it'll take me some time anyone who knows me I post everything on social media I haven't even had the ability to do that yet because I just don't feel like I can do it justice I feel like no matter what I say it's just not going to be able to do it justice and it deserves justice it deserves to be articulated so purely and so perfectly in honor of people who I love who are my beloved I want to go back and I just want to go again just to greet them. If someone said, let's just go for a day and you just get to stand at the edge and just greet them again, I will because they made me everything who I am, truthfully. All it is is about justice. It's about truth. And in the world we live in right now, 
those are the teachings. It's not about religion. It's not about Shia Sunni. It's about those teachings in, that in the midst of absolute chaos, what can we learn? What can we learn from people who've sacrificed their families to not bow down to tyrants, not to bow down to oppressors? It's not about materialistic things. It's about real human beings and real people, and it's about humanity. You have to walk off the land of Karbala and know that. You have to. If you can't walk away from Karbala with pure love for humanity, your ziyarat's not successful. You haven't succeeded at what you were supposed to gain from that. For Shias, just to share love for my ancestors. That's basically it. Beyond what you've just said, which is so inspiring, why should we care? Why should the world care about this pilgrimage? Other than the sheer volume Other than the fact that it's 38 million people and growing, I don't know where else you would feel that kind of solidarity for humankind. It's important in this time. The love for humanity transcends everything. And I think that if you want to feel it and you want to commit to that, to stand up against oppression and stand up against that us versus them mentality, everyone hates everyone mentality, divide and conquer mentality, consider it. And if you can't go, watch it. You know, there's so many videos out there. There's so many things that show the walk. You won't feel the energy, maybe, but it'll at least show you that that people are doing this. I find it difficult to believe that this isn't mainstream knowledge. And I started this entire conversation by saying, I didn't know. I don't say that was pride, but I'm also not a liar. I actually didn't know Arbaeen existed. I know what the 40th day means. I know what Arbaeen means. and I know how we celebrate it in our small towns or whatever. But I didn't know there was this walk that existed. And it's the biggest walk in the world. And how is it not mainstream? How does everyone not know about this? I don't think there was even one fight or one need for police or army or anything to come in. When we talk about peaceful that was the most peaceful thing I've ever been a part of. I don't remember seeing police at all during that entire walk. And when I came back, I asked people, they're like, no, there was none. When you got to the shrines or security, but not during the actual walk, which is incredible. How can this gulf be bridged? The experience of mass humanity coexisting peacefully with hospitality, preferring Mm -hmm. others over the self, And then where we live back home, which is divisive and othering and finding reasons to place ourselves in a different rank than other people. What's the bridge? I think the bridge is knowledge. And I think the bridge is the ability for each of us to take in information and not try to put it into a box. So I think the biggest challenge perhaps for Arbaeen or even our Ziyarat in Iraq is not everyone with so much Islamophobia and with so much stuff going on. Most people, when they see hundreds and thousands and millions of people in all black, what do they think? They think terrorists. Sorry, that's the fact. They think terrorists. You know, these are the bad people. These are the people who are doing all bad. But that's not factually correct. So this is about knowledge. And I think that for all of us who've gone 
and come back. I think that we all have to take that responsibility to teach and not teach it from a religious perspective because it is our belief that let people do what they need to do. I don't want to get involved in somebody's religion, but I do want people to be good to humanity. Perhaps if we can do that and those 38 million people come back and start really passing on that message of peace and of justice and of equality and just everyone walking together, holding hands and just being like, we don't care about anything else. This is it for us. We just want to be good. That might happen, but it's just not going to be our politicians. It's not going to be other leadership. It's going to be a grassroots type of people who are going to be able to have honest conversations with people they know and people who trust them to say, hey, at least give it a chance and just read about it and learn about it. Take your us and them blinders off. Take your religious blinders off. This transcends everything. No gender. It's above and beyond all that. Even just me being, you know, a young woman walking in there and really not having a fear in the world, just doing whatever I had to do. That in itself is pretty incredible. Is there anything else you would like to say now that I haven't asked about or that you haven't mentioned that you want to make sure is captured? It's one of the teachings for us that when somebody comes and, you know, we've lived by this in my house my whole life. And and I know a lot of Shia Muslims do that. It doesn't matter if somebody is your friend or your enemy or anything else. When somebody comes to your door, when somebody comes to you for anything, you open that door and you literally give everything you have on that table to feed them, to make sure they're okay, to close them. I thought about that a lot. I thought about that teaching a lot when we were walking. Every time someone would hand me something and I would think, wow, you know, like this is people proving that teaching, just making that teaching to be so true because they know we're here for imam and they're just following that principle that they're just giving everything they have to people who've come to see him there's all this different connection between all these different teachings that we have through our whole lives one thing was really interesting was the shrines we would try to go for morning prayers there and there would be millions of people in the shrines we would try to go to afternoon prayers millions of people you could go any single time of any single day and there would be hundreds of thousands of people just in the shrines forget the walk just the shrines like just where they're buried and it is actually incredible because then I kept thinking okay so if I come at 3 30 in the morning will there be less people if I come at four in the morning if I google this right now is it going to be less people how Is that possible that all day and all night, there's a constant stream of people coming in there from all walks of life, from all over the world? It's really hard to explain. It's really hard to actually articulate it. I really do appreciate us having this conversation. It's basically the first conversation I've actually had about this. I've definitely been struggling with how to articulate it and and I don't feel like I've done it justice and I don't think that anything I could say would ever do it justice but I hope I did them proud you know I know that they called me there for a reason and I hope I did them proud you've just heard our Bayin walk for humanity produced by Dr. Heather Warfield and edited by Janine Marr copyright 2020 all rights reserved thank you for listening to meaningful journeys This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England, and the Meaningful Life Institute. We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, or by email, info at meaningfuljourneys.net, or our website, 
www.meaningfuljourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.